Port Wine and uh, Torriga Nacional. Though Port is named after the Portuguese city of Oporto, confusingly, it seems to be about as Portuguese as its forbearing market of primary consumers, the English. The history of winemaking here is as tied in with the British naval history as its sister city, Bordeaux. The very advent and popularity of this wine was due in large part to the logistics of the British Navy and the penchant of the English consumer for wines of durability, long-lasting wines. Port is a date, black cherry-scented, sweet wine, generally speaking, of the Atlantic heritage. It's made by uh, halting fermentation by adding neutral grape spirit during the beginning process of fermentation. The spirit is referred to as aguardiente and is uh, lean white liquor with little flavor and a touch of grape sweetness. It acts only to raise alcohol levels in the finished product, thus essentially cold-holding the wines for longer voyages. Uh, this, in turn, kills the yeast and uh, sterilizes the port, leaving residual sugar behind in the glass, which is where you get the sweetness from because the yeast is unable to continue fermenting those sugars. It also means that these wines, due to their higher alcohol, have compatibility with storage for long periods of time, certainly those undertaken by uh, ships, which would reach the Southampton, um, the port of Southampton, sometimes months after uh, leaving port and uh, returning from various voyages. These voyages created several traditions and categories of various port styles at varying price points, but uh, the journey to England isn't the only journey by sea that the bottles would be forced to endure. It's not even usually the first. The wine-growing area of Portugal, whence port grapes come from, is called the Douro Valley, and it's named for its long, snaking Douro River, which flows out into the Atlantic. The region is marked by, for a long while, it was nearly not traversable by those looking to transport a harvest or by pressing from inland um, to the city of Oporto, where the wine would meet its distribution houses and transport ships. Um, the easy solution was then to use shallow boats called rabelos and fill them up with barrels and then carry them downstream to Villanova de Gaia, just south of Oporto, where they would be transported abroad after being prepared and blended by the major port uh, confrères. It was this journey, uh, carrying larger barrels upstream, that would eventually give port its very characteristic sunbathed, oxidative properties, uh, and makes them tout flavors of brown sugar and cured meat as well, which are notable by that sun-drenched journey up the Douro River. Douro Valley is home to several grapes, which are considered to be native and are appropriate for making high-quality port wine. Along with port, the successful rise of small estates within the valley itself and the advent of uh, transport by uh, tanker truck rather than Ravalo means that the wineries are more able and focused on dry wine production in some areas as well. And uh, with some of the same varietals that are made uh, from port. Torriga Nacional is the headliner grape for the Douro region, if not all of Portugal itself. Um, it is used all over from uh, uh, Oporto to uh, places like Alentejo. And um, the grape is a thick skinned, dark colored and highly pigmented grape, which performs very well in warm conditions. It tends to give flavors of black plum. It tends to give flavors of black plum, spiced black tea, boxwood, mint, and huckleberry. It's a blue fruit dominant grape like Syrah um, and is now one of the more experimentally authorized plantings in Bordeaux as well. So you do see it there uh, in very small plantings um, 
due to combating the their desire to combat climate change and plant uh, grapes that are uh, more easily accessible in hotter weather um, for harvest. Torriga Nacional is the prime grape used um, in the blends. It uh, is pretty heat resistant. It creates beautiful herbaceous dusty expressions. Uh, it molds well to the higher acid uh, and perfume of Torriga Franca, which is its closely related family member, also another grape used here. Generally speaking, uh, a blend here in port wine will consist of Torriga Nacional, Torriga Franca, and then another grape called Tinta Ruiz, um, which you may know as Tempranillo uh, from the Rioja Valley. Uh, same grape. The black cherry and rosemary flavors of Tinta Ruiz uh, complement Torriga Nacional extremely well, which has more of that plummy flavor and uh, sour black cherry. So um, those, those grapes do pretty well. There are uh, three special appellations that encompass the majority of port production. These are Biasha Corgo, Sima Corgo, and Doro Superior. All three are flanked by the Serra de Moral mountain range, which acts to protect the area from rain showers and um, the sort of mid-Atlantic weather patterns and developments um, through an effect called rain shadow. And this is very similar to the Mino up north, which has the same basically efficacious positioning to grape growing. Um, The effect is called rain shadow, and it happens when rain clouds and condensation are forced into higher altitudes, whereby the oxygen content isn't high enough to sustain the withholding of rainwater, thus they dissipate before being able to traverse that mountain range. So you can have uh, weather on one side of the mountain range and uh, not on the other. The white port also exists, though um, they often um, end up pretty dark gold, um, even brown. They age just as long as the red ports. Um, they are made from Donzellino Branco, Fogazao, Goeveo, uh, Malvesia Fina, and Vioshino. Uh, realistically, these varietals can be found throughout Portugal and are fairly ubiquitous in style when they're made into dry wines. Uh, when made into port, there is a definitional range, um, definitional change in the uh, consistency of these grapes, obviously you get that uh, more residual sugar and uh, a richer mouthfeel as well as the higher alcohol levels that are associated with port. These wines tend to display a hearty amount of saline, key lime, and yellow pear. They're sort of a richer um, and more expressive uh, version of white wines that are made in Portugal. The Douro is the third oldest wine region in Europe behind Tokai and uh, has been exporting since the 1500s and the rise of the nobility-owned wineries. Wineries in this area are called quintas, and they are generally located near the water for easy transport downstream of their product. Uh, Furthermore, the town of Oporto is covered by blending facilities and exporters, and um, the historical waterfront houses that are akin to uh, houses that you would find in Amsterdam or Southampton. The cities in the area... um, commonly send mercantile goods so they were set up pretty well um, with canals and uh, various types of transportation methods to get uh, waterbound transportation methods to get things from here to there the landscape is in and of itself where um, 
the grapes are grown is desert brush. So it's very hot there. Um, you get 2,900 hours of sunlight per year, and uh, it's one of the brighter, warmer regions in general. Diurnal shift can be um, really a uh, make or break. Um, that is the uh, coolness during the evening or the, the respite from the sun that those grapes get. Um, at higher altitudes is usually afforded by higher altitudes. Um, and, and in desert climates, it's, uh, more common to see that as well. The diurnal shift where you get cold nights and then warm days, um, that slows down the ripening period significantly and, um, can cause a greater body of complexity to develop. The soils are generally schist based, which, uh, it's Cambrian, um, granites and, um, uh, very fine sands, clay marls, and um, you'd get alluvial stuff, obviously, very close to the riverbed, some alluvial, alluvial organic, but for the most part, you have more of these alkaline soils, um, which is great for the grapes as well. You know, you get get a lot of flavor from those, and they have to dig pretty deep for their nutrients, um, just considering how dry everything is. Uh, that, again, comes mostly due to that lack of rainfall. Biasho Corgo is the region responsible for the vast majority of production of more affordable ruby ports and dry uh, bulk wines, which are consumed on the tables of Lisbon in the late afternoons. The subregion is centered around the town of Peso da Regua and uh, sees the vast majority of rain within the Douro region. Rain shadow from the Serra de Moral um, marginally affects this region due to its distance from the range and being closer to the Atlantic than other areas, uh, it is further inland as well. So this area receives 35 inches of rain per year. Realistically, the major quintas will generally blend these wines with holdings from other parcels all over the Douro Valley. Um, Sima is centered around the town of Pinhao and uh, sees light rains during the latter seasons, though temperatures... Uh, remain relatively consistent, and diurnal shift works to bring about finer vintages of greater nuance. The vast majority of high-quality quintas are located in this area. Sima Corgo vineyards are also, um, they have a variety of, of different aspects, uh, and the vast majority of them face north or northwest. In this area, um, as with all wine-growing areas surrounding the Douro River, the temperatures can be quite uh, excessive during the ripening season, creating a need for more adequate canopy growth and vine spacing. So it's important to let the uh, canopies grow up and uh, do vine training in a way that uh, allows for uh, airflow. To prevent sunburn um, and promote vigor, uh, canopy is extremely important. It covers the grapes, um, protecting the skins. And uh, also, again, allows for airflow so you don't get, uh, uh, you know, any of that maritime um, stagnant sort of wet air. Duro Superior is to the far east. It's a subregion. Um, it's a, a large flat plain which shares a border with Spain to the north. The area, due to its availability, uh, or its arability, rather, is uh, able to be machine harvested. And generally speaking, vineyards are slightly newer and tend to be trained on a guillot. Some more affordable dry red wines are made here. This is the hottest and driest of the three areas, and uh, careful considerations have to be taken when deciding when to irrigate, um, or rather to irrigate at all. Um, sometimes it's a necessary step to achieve optimal growth, is to just have those as a backup. 
Port does come in many forms. There are a plethora of styles that range in quality, drinkability, and affordability. Each bottle from each different manufacturer will contain different legal terms uh, and yield slightly different flavor profiles. Traditionally, port is bottle age as opposed to oak age. And um, this is to avoid overexposure to oxygenation, which older barrels will tend to impart. Um, There are oak-aged port examples as well, but oak is not the dominant flavor. And producers tend to balance its flavors nicely with the wines. The oak aging, um, what it does do is it creates an um, oxidative style of port, um, which would be more like a Madeira. Um, the process imparts caramel flavors and graham crackers or cured meat, um, which is one thing to look out for. Uh, Ruby port is a young port, which is aged three years or more yet is done so in bottle to prevent oxygenation. These wines are fresh and vibrant. They will generally display flavors of um, red fruit-based strawberry, red plum, sometimes even cassis. Uh, These wines are perfect for pairing with Stilton and other strong cheeses, given their brash aromas. And we'll talk about Stilton in just a second. Carefully crafted as a blend of multiple of the best vintages, they are reductively aged, meaning they are kept in bottle for the entire aging process. They are generally made from the most prized vintages, and they do require a tasting panel approval, which is organized by the Confrere and Independent Quality Standards Board. Tawny Port is a um, contrasting style with Ruby Port. It's aged in oak, adding slightly oxidized nutty characters to the wines. The oxygenation process turns these wines from a bright ruby color to a darker, more amber-clad color, which is the result of the oxygenation in the barrel. The barrels are often old, porous, and not topped off, resulting in the phenomenon known as the angel share, where the wine uh, evaporates over time very slowly. This is um, one of those things that makes these more expensive because you have less yield. Um, with no indication of age on the bear, uh, on the uh, bottle, these tawny ports must be aged for at least three years, um, though generally they're aged for more than that. Reserve labeled tawnies must be blends of tawny that is at least seven years old. Vintage labeled tawny um, must be from the dates um, or must spend at least 18 months in barrel before being aged, before being bottle aged. It must be from the date that it's that it comes from. Next, you've got Kalita port, and uh, this is a term used by a select number of wineries and describes extremely oxidative styles of port. So this is one where oxygen is purposefully being introduced to the barrel. These styles uh, are old tasting and often funky, exhibiting caramel and saline flavors. Um, This would be more like a matterized wine, Um, you know, more similar to Madeira. There's... uh, expected amount of or uh, even jura maybe a little bit the sort of orange wines there but there's a little bit more of a uh, brash saline funkiness to these like cheesy flavors um they are not often offered by all port houses as they're a little bit more esoteric and the other thing is they're not really um english traditional there's also uh, Garafiera, which is made by the company Kneeport. Um, it's aged in demijohns, uh, three to six years in oak also. This is from the Dutch port maker Kneeport. Rather specifically, this is the only company that makes them. They're very uh, 
oxidative in style. They're similar to the Vin du Naturel of France. Um, these are aged outside in demijohns, glass bottles that allow ox- exposure to oxygen in the sun and creates a faster angel share. And also, um, they'll spend some time in oak as well, uh, from anywhere from three to six years. Um, and then they're aged in bottle. Um, it's a very interesting matterized style of wine. It gives flavors of graham cracker and balsamic vinegar. So very interesting. You probably won't see those in the United States. Um, you also have late bottle vintage. Due to lack of demand for port, this is becoming a lot more common, late bottle vintage. Um, it's when there are leftover reserves of port on the stockroom floor. Usually these will be aged four to six years in an oxidative style. And they'll generally also spend a few years in barrel and uh, will hit the market as a discounted wine um, over the latest tawny non-vintage. If the bottle is labeled bottle matured, it will spend three years in bottle. Vintage ports are the most desirable ports, hailing from one single vintage and displaying all of the common character of that year. Naked in its complexities, port enthusiasts thrill for a bottle of single-year vintage ports. These are tawny ports that show characteristics of decomposition of the solids in the bottle because they are unfiltered or fined. Um, they'll also be generally older than seven years and aged in barrel for longer than 18 months. Then you've got the um, crusted style as well, which is the last style of port. Um, though odious sounding, these wines are simply discounted blends of vintage ports um, in the same way that Reserve Ruby is a blend of younger port vintages. These are sort of the other version they can come from all over the valleys and um, generally uh, you'll be looking at more oxidative styles here as well with the crusted stilton which i mentioned a little earlier is the classic pairing cheese Um, it's it can be dressed up it can be dressed down um it goes so well with ruby port because of the brine the sweet caramel the chocolate buttery and the crumbly um, it's, uh, an incredibly sour cheese and, um, it's a, it's a British blue cheese. Originally, it comes from the bacteria Penicillium roqueforti, um, and it, it just complements the wine very, very well. Um, Tariga Nacional, again, for all practical, practical purposes is port. Um, of course, when combined with several other varieties, um, like Tariga Franca, and uh, fermented with neutral grape spirit, and then cask-aged, uh, it creates the younger ruby ports, which are the classic pairing for uh, Stilton. So that saline caramel, um, though you know that's associated with port, you also get a lot of that in the uh, Tariga Nacional itself, the, the actual grape varietal, and you can notice that when it's bottled by itself. I did mention a little earlier that... Um, Tariga Nacional is becoming a more popular dry wine now that it's transportable and um, people see the utility in that, uh, growers see the utility in that and uh, are exporting more and more of this sort of more regional varietal Tariga Nacional, which is very interesting. Um, It has flavors very similar to, on its own, very similar to maybe a richer version of Cabernet Sauvignon with um, some Malbec tendencies as well. It does have sort of a richer... um, richer profile overall you get that sort of black current you do still get um some pyrazinic qualities maybe even a little graphite Uh, but this also has some ripe red plum expressions as well and uh caramel 
even when it's not um, oak aged. So one of the things that you can do is um, go for a bottle like Quinta de Passau Tariga Nacional Gran Reserva. It's a cuvee of vineyards from the Douro on the Portuguese side, south of the valley. The wine shows fantastic body and uh, incredible blackberry profile. The acidity is mild and the mouthfeel is warm. The wine has excellent presence and depth of flavor. Um, Single bottle Tariga is pretty rare, but you can find it at most major stores. Um, you can also go for Cabernet Sauvignon, um, like an American style one, um, and pair this up with the, uh, Stilton. It still works the same way. Um, if you, if you get a, uh, um, a wine like Mount Vitor Winery's Cabernet Sauvignon, it could work perfectly in this situation. They make a very reasonably priced hillside version of Cabernet Sauvignon with fantastic secondary characteristics. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that just frankly aren't going to prefer to have um, a sweet wine with cheese, and that's fine, too. Um, it does go really, really well, port, and the, the classic pairing, but this, um, you know, these sort of heavier Cabernet Sauvignons and more forbearing Cabernet Sauvignons um, will do really well as also. So they have a very dramatic, uh, Mount Vitor's Cabernet Sauvignon has a very dramatic uh, opus of wood, mushroom, clove, vanilla, bean, and uh, black currant and cassis with a tinge of acid. There are no green flavors here. Um, it is perfect to complement the uh, chalky texture of the cheese. And um, yeah, just a, a uh, really fantastic bottle of wine to have with uh, Stilton. Similarly, if you're looking for another dry wine pairing, um, you could look towards Syrah, a notably French grape um, said to have arrived in the Rhone Valley region during the Crusades, planted on Hermitage by the knight Gaspard de Sternberg. We now know it's probably a regional grape, but um, its original growing home was thought to be Iran. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously, it's uh, I think it's related to Pinot Noir. DNA evidence suggests... Um, that, uh, oh yeah, here, I wrote it down, duh. Syrah's black peppery fruit flavor and crushed olive tapenade essences um, have captured imaginations of many and um, occupied a vast array of vineyards in Saint-Joseph, Hermitage, Croze, Hermitage, and Cornat. But it's not just the Rhone version that I would recommend. Um, you can go on the cheaper side too. I would spring for the tougher, fruitier, and earthier um, Minervois that uh, I think would be a better fit for the cheese and your wallet. Located in the heart of the Languedoc, Minervois is situated on uh, the higher northerly slopes close to the sea, allowing for excellent sunlight so the tannins will ripen completely on the grapes, but not so much that they are, um, you know, they receive a flabby, jammy, um, overcooked uh, semblance. They're still very French, uh, with a particularly non-rhone tannic bite and underpinnings of prosciutto and black olive. They go really well with the creamy funkiness of the cheese. You can specifically be on the lookout for the delicious Chateau Saint Eulalie La Cantilene Minervois La Livinière, a fantastic example of a reputable, uh, reputable producer from this area. The wine offers all the classic pepper that the Rhone Syrah has with more black fruit flavors and candid opulence uh, resembling that of Pomerol, some even brown sugar. The uh, wine has uh, black currant scented uh, 
overtones with uh, rosebuds, toffee, espresso, and a cayenne pepper finish with striking acidity. It's uh, explosive flavors and gritty tannin um, lends very well to the funk of the blue cheese. And the wine's expressive underbelly lends to complement the ripe flavors in the cheese as well. And that is all for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Awesome.